listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. It's a great morning, man. Good to see everybody. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to go to Judges chapter 16 this morning. Judges chapter 16, as we continue in our series, Jesus Revealed, we're looking for Christ in the Old Testament because the reality is the entire Bible is all about Jesus. He is the good news that every single one of us needs, uh, not just on Sunday mornings, but in every square inch of our life, every minute throughout the day. Um, Hey, if you are a visitor, welcome. Uh, We are glad that you are here. Um, If it's your first time or second or third time with us and you have yet to get connected uh, with this church, um, we really believe that the church isn't just an event. It's not just something you do on Sundays. Um, Church is, is a people. The church is God's people saved by God's power and dwelt with God's presence and sent for God's purpose. And so we really believe the church is it's just it's us and we want to be the church to each other not just on Sundays but throughout the week and so our prayer is if you're not connected somewhere if, if this is the extent of, of of what church looks like for you we we really uh, would love to see you become a part of our family and there's a couple of different ways that you can you can kind of connect with us we know that it's hard right to jump from a Sunday morning into a, a missional community which is uh, where ultimately we want to see everybody get plugged in but um, if you're not ready to jump into a missional community yet you can get Get connected by uh, grabbing one of these connect cards, which I see we do have there this week, so that's a step forward. Um, and you can, you can fill out your information uh, there, and we will connect with you on your terms. You can just uh, you know, give us whatever info you want. You can hand that to me as you're walking out the door. I won't hassle you. I promise. I'll just take it, put it in my back pocket, and then connect with you through text or email or however you want. Another way you can learn more about us is by visiting our website. That's fellowshipparagold.com. Uh, you can also connect with us on Facebook or Twitter, or you can email me personally, jared at fellowshipparagold.com. That's J-A-R-E-D at fellowshipparagold.com. So we really do, we try as hard as we can to eliminate any excuse uh, of not being able to get connected. Hopefully that shows we, we really want to get to know you. We want to serve and love on your family well. So again, welcome uh, everybody this morning. We are in Judges chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 23, and we're going to read down to verse 30. I feel like I'm a little hot. Not like physically hot. My mic is hot. It is. it is hot. Okay, cool. Good. Uh, Judges chapter 16, verse 23. If you're not there, if you don't have a Bible, we'll throw it on the screen for you. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of prison to entertain them. And they made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me fill the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me. Please strengthen me only this once. O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. 
And Samson grasped the middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed all his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed during his life. I'm going to ask that you pray with me one more time as I pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to be here another day on this earth, another day that, that you sustained us throughout the night while we did absolutely nothing. I thank you that we had the opportunity to wake up today and to come here in the midst of a busy life to hear your words. And so we pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you will take these words, that you will make them more than, than a fairy tale, even more than just a true historical event, but that you will take them and make them alive in our heart and that you will transform us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. How many of you remember these guys? Oh, yeah. Let me see a show of hands. Oh, yeah. Okay. For those of you that didn't raise your hand, thank God you did not see these guys. Um, this, ladies and gentlemen, is the power team. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this is a group of weightlifting evangelists. And if you ever had a chance to catch a demonstration from the power team, you would see these men do things like rip phone books in half, bend metal bars with their teeth, and break blocks of ice with their massive forearms. And then after their demonstrations, uh, I remember going to several of them, you know, they would be pacing around on the stage, and after they, like, do all this stuff and set themselves on fire, and, like, it was just, it literally was crazy. They'd be, like, walking on stage, and they'd be like, All right, Paragold, this could be you! Therefore... Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And I remember sitting there as a scrawny little kid being like, Yes, I'll do I repent. I believe like Jesus. Like I remember praying this prayer, like, God, please save me and make me strong like these men. Like, please, God, like fill me up. I mean, I want to be on the power team. <laughs> I didn't get there. But I, I do remember going to several demonstrations. And one in particular, I remember coming home, and I walked into my parents' house after praying this prayer, and I wanted to test to see, like, am I strong? Has this prayer really worked? And so I walk into my parents' kitchen, and I pull out a phone book, back in the days when we actually had phone books, and it was like a fifth of the size of the ones they would tear, but I remember just sitting there, man, and I'd grab that phone book, and I'd just, you know, back and forth, try so hard to tear it, but to no avail, I would end up putting the phone book back into the drawer, and I would walk away discouraged because of how weak I still was. And, and you see, you can actually remove that. So, I mean, as, <laughs> I was wondering, I'm like, you're gonna, you can leave it up there all sermon, whatever you want to do. Um, you know, but as I began to think about that, I thought, you know, isn't it probably true that some of us this morning are walking around discouraged because of how weak we are in certain areas? I'm not just talking about physical strength talking about emotional strength, relational strength, spiritual strength. Some of us, we know, right, as Christians, we should be growing. We should be maturing. We should be strong. I mean, after all, we do have the Holy Spirit, right? Like, we should be strong people. And, let, and yet, if we can be honest, I think some of us, if we look at our lives, wouldn't you have to agree there are some areas where you think, man, I really thought I'd be further along by now. Like, wouldn't you have to agree, like, if you can be honest, there are certain areas in your life where you look and you say, I'm trying to do better. 
I'm trying to be a better spouse. I'm trying to be a better parent. I'm trying to be more consistent in my times in the Word and in prayer. I'm trying to kill my sin. I'm trying to make disciples. I am trying to be better. I'm trying to be stronger. But over and over, I keep failing. Maybe some of you, that's not where you are this morning, but I bet the majority of us in here, we would have to agree that despite our prayers and our personal attempts to make improvements, there are some times where we feel like we take one step forward and then we take two steps back. There are times in our life where we feel very weak. And the good news is this morning, if that is you, what we discover is when we read the Bible is that we have a God who exceeds in what we think will be our failures. We have a God in this Bible who is so big and he is so great that he is able to take even our weaknesses and make them the greatest platform for displaying his power in our lives. And you see, that's exactly what we discover in the story of Samson. Just to give you a little context, a little background to this story, as we talked about last week, Joshua was a man that God raised up to lead the people of Israel into a land that he had promised them. Despite the fact that he couldn't dot every I and cross every T, he moved forward in faith to, to conquer a portion of the land that God had, had promised to them. But now Joshua is dead. And the people of Israel have decided to stop moving forward. In fact, rather than moving forward into more land that God has promised them, rather than conquering the enemies and driving out the idols that God had called them to drive out, Israel, at this point in their history, has grown very comfortable with their sin. And you see, rather than now purging the idols out of the land, we find them cuddling these idols. We find them, as a result, experiencing much pain and death and destruction. And you see, when you read the, the, the story of Israel, it's really depressing because you see this pattern in their lives over and over again. In fact, we don't have to look at all of them, but you can make note of it if you're taking notes. Over and over, if you read the book of Judges, you're going to see this phrase. And the people of Israel did what was evil inside of the Lord. You see it in chapter 2, verse 11. You see it in chapter 3, verse 7, chapter 3, verse 12, chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1, chapter 10, verse 6, and chapter 13, verse 1. Over and over, Israel did what was evil inside of of the Lord. And as a result, God gave them over to their enemies. Their enemies would come and attack them. They would overthrow them. They would steal from them. They would enslave them. And then in desperation, Israel would finally cry out to God. And rather than God leaving them in their mess, what he would do is he would raise up these men. He'd raise up these people called judges who were literally to go and rescue the people to pull them out of their oppression, to pull them out of their slavery. But once a judge would die, what would happen to Israel? They'd go right back into their stubborn ways. And some of you, if you have kids, you know what this is like, right? I mean, have any of you like ever been in one part of the house and all of a sudden you hear a big racket just to find out like when you go into a room like your kids are trying to kill each other, right? And so you go in and you rush in and you're like, son, like quit hitting your, your sister over the head with this toy, Right, or, or whatever it is, or, or you know, you're telling your daughter, like, quit pulling you know, your brother's hair, right? Please, for the love of God, play nice with each other. And they all look at you and they're like, okay, like, yes, daddy, we'll play nice, but what happens as soon as you leave the room? They go nuts, right? And, and that's exactly what we see with Israel. When a judge was around, okay, they'd say, okay, we're going to try to obey, we're going to try to do what God's called us to do, but when a judge would die, they would fall right back into the same pattern of sin. And so here they are now. And we find them in their history, and we come to the story of Samson, where they are, because of, they, uh, of doing what was evil inside of the Lord, because they chose to do what they wanted to do rather than obeying God, they are enslaved to these 
Philistines. The Philistines were an aggressive, idol-worshipping, child-sacrificing, militant people. And as they're enslaved to them, as they're around them, God, rather than leaving them in their mess, he decides to raise up now this new judge by the name of Samson to deliver his people. And if you flip over to Judges chapter 13, just a couple pages, or we can put it on the screen for you, we see the very beginning of Samson's life. Judges chapter 13, verse 5, it says, An angel comes to a woman and says, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son... No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And so here's what you have. You have this angel in this story showing up to a very common woman and saying, Good news to you. The Lord has shown you favor. He is going to make you become pregnant with a child, and you're going to give birth to this child whom is to be set aside for God's specific purposes to rescue his people out of slavery and out of captivity. Okay? So let me just stop here and say this for one moment. I know, or I'm assuming most of you did not have like an angel show up to your mom and announce your birth. Right? Like most of us probably in here, like no angel showed up and was like, you will become pregnant and you shall name him Gary or whatever. Right? <laughs> like that didn't happen. But here's a reality. If you are here this morning, and you are <laughs> here, you are not here by accident. I don't care what a parent has said about you. I don't care what an ex-spouse has said about you. I don't care what a coach has said about you. If you are here, you are here for a purpose. In Jeremiah chapter 1, in places like Psalm 139, the Bible says that before you were even born, God knew you and he knitted you together. God has uniquely wired every single one of you in here with a purpose. I want you to think about that. You know what that means? It means you should stop trying to be somebody else and you should start trying to be the most sanctified version of you as possible. You should stop trying to be someone else's personality, wanting somebody else's gifts, and you should realize that God has created you the way he has for a purpose, to use you ultimately for his glory. And as your pastors, I just want to say, like, that's our desire. Our desire is you get involved in missional communities. And as you take things like the spiritual health assessment that we just now uh, put out for you this week, and, and we give you the spiritual gifting test and things like that, like our goal is to unearth you to be the man, to be the woman that God has created you to be for his glory. Samson, like all of the rest of us, was created by God for a specific purpose. And what is that purpose? He is to follow this Nazarite vow, which is what uh, some unique, uh, it was a kind of a unique call during this period in, in Israel's history where some were called up for God, by God for special purposes at special times throughout their lives. He's called to be this, this, to follow this Nazarite vow, to never cut his hair, to never drink alcohol, to never eat any unclean food, and then he is to be set apart to deliver the people of Israel from their oppression. Right? That's pretty clear in that text. And you would think... You would think Samson hearing that would say, okay, I know what my call is. Now I'm going to walk with some very clear focus. I'm going to walk with a razor-sharp vision, the straight and narrow path. But actually, as we dive into the story of Samson, we see something completely different. Flip over with me to Judges chapter 14. Judges chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Samson is now a young man, and I want you to see what happens. Judges 14, verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah. 
And at Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and he told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now, go get her for me as my wife. So here's a man, Samson, who clearly is used to getting whatever he wants. And he has zero respect for his parents. I saw a Philistine woman, go get her for me, parents. Verse 3, parents tried to talk him out of it. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all your people that you must go to take as a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And look how Samson responds. But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Translation, she's hot and I want her. She might be wrong to you, mom and dad, but she is so right to me. It's a little pickup line. You are right in my eyes, girl. Right? You think about this for a moment. God raises up Samson to free the people of Israel from the Philistines. And yet, rather than trying to free the people from the Philistines, he's marrying these Philistine people. Isn't that crazy? Samson is a man who knows the mission God has given him, and yet he is selling out on the mission for the sake of his own sexual desires. And for you this morning, it may not be sexuality, but I think this is a temptation for every single one of us to do what Samson has done here. Some of you, you know what God has called you to do, and you are selling out on the mission for the sake of your own comfort and gratification. Some of you, you know that God is calling you to build a relationship with your neighbors who are lost and far from him, and yet because it's more comfortable to stay inside your house where it's safe, you sell out on the mission. Some of you in here, you know that God has called you to get plugged into the church, to use your gifts, to serve. And yet you say because it's easier to not have relationships with other people, because it's easier just to come and and just kind of keep people at a distance, I'm going to retreat back out of the mission. Some of you know God's called you to give. Faithfully, we talk about that every week to the church, and yet because it's more comfortable, right, to, to not give, we sell out, right, for the sake of being able to have that, that, that better house or that nicer car or that, that, that cell phone plan that we have to have. I think all of us, if we can be honest, this is a temptation in our own lives to sell out for the sake of our own comfort and gratification. That's exactly what we see going on right here with Samson. Like so many dudes... Samson is ate up with lust, and as a result, he is distracted from what he knows God is calling him to do. What Samson cares about the most is not God's glory, but his gratification. That's what's going on right here in his life. And I want you to look very carefully at what happens next, because I promise you it plays out just like a Quentin Tarantino film. It's crazy. Like, you can't make this stuff up. In verse 4 and 5, Samson, he convinces his mom and dad because he's a spoiled little brat, right? Like, I'm going to go get this woman. And they're like, okay, we're going to go with you, Samson. And so they go down to get this, this Philistine woman who is right in his eyes. And while he is down there, a lion attacks Samson. And what does Samson do? He rips the lion to shreds. And then later he eats some honey out of it because a beehive had settled into it. It's a crazy, incredibly strong, incredibly gross individual. He rips a lion to shreds, and so they continue to go about just another day, right? You've been there, Ryan. 
right? And so, you know, they continue to go about their day, and eventually he comes down to Timnah, and he meets with this Philistine woman, and he says, you're going to be mine, girl. And she's like, okay, I guess I'm going to be yours. And so they begin to plan for this wedding. And picture this. This next scene is like a scene out of The Outsiders or like The Godfather. He's setting up for his wedding, and here comes this rival gang, the Philistines, to go you know, mess with Samson. And Samson's not scared of them at all. It's 30 of, him, 30 of them, one of him. They come over to hang out with him, to kind of mess with him, and he turns it around and makes a game out of it. And here's what he says to him. He says, hey, guys, I got a little game. Let's play, right? I'm going to put a riddle on you, and if you can guess the riddle within seven days, I'll buy every single one of you a suit. But if you can't figure out the riddle within seven days, you're all going to buy me a suit. And because they're dudes and every dude wants a competition, like, let's do it, baby. You know, we will answer, we will be able to figure out your riddle. And so he puts the riddle on them, and they leave and try to figure it out. Problem is, after about three or four days, they can't figure out the riddle. So they go to Samson's fiance. And they're like, look, girl, like, you know, you're one of us. Figure out what the answer is so we can all get suits. We all want some really nice suits. And so go to him, tell us what the answer is so that we can, you know, get the, get the, you know, guess the riddle. And so, you know, she feels a little threatened by these guys, and she says, okay, here's the answer. And so they go back up to Samson, and they say, hey, man, we know the answer to the riddle. They tell him the answer, and because Samson knows that his wife is the one that gives him the answer, he, he, he calls her a heifer. <laughs> this is the truth. Uh, where's this at? Verse 18. He says, if you had not plowed my heifer, which I really think it's like a southern accent like that. I don't know why I think Samson's like... <laughs> If you would not plow my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Right? Never call your wife a heifer, but Samson's just a jerk, man. He's like that heifer. Right? Give you the answer. And then the Spirit of the Lord, verse 19, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down, and look, it says, he struck down all 30 men. You figured out my riddle? I'll kill all 30 of you. Can we agree Samson's got some issues? I, that's, that's an anger management problem. Some of you, you've heard me tell the story before about when I was 18 years old and how I went to Memphis and, uh, with some buddies, and on the way back, we decided to stop at a gas station. And uh, my favorite gas station food at one time was Snowballs. They're disgusting now, I don't know. But like, I, now it's the Cosmic Brownie. That's my favorite. And uh, uh, anyways, uh, besides the point. And so like, I go in, we get these Snowballs, and I'm sitting there driving, and I'm trying to eat a Snowball. My buddy in the back... Um, decides it'd be funny, to, you know, it'd be real cute to just knock the snowball out of my hand while I'm trying to eat it. And he misses it first, and I'm like, ah, you missed. And the second time he got it and knocked it out. And so here's what I do. We're on the interstate. I pull over the truck, get out of the truck, cars flying by, open the door, and I say, we're going to do one of two things right now. You're either going to go back to the gas station and buy me more snowballs, or we're going to fight. Okay? And don't judge me, because this is like my BC days. This is before Christ. It was in my life. And so uh, the guy totally would have stomped me, but I didn't care. Like, I was so mad. I was willing to do whatever it took to get vengeance. And as crazy as that story seems, like, it pales in comparison to what we see right here with Samson. I mean, some guys guess the answer to the game that he initiated, so he kills them for it. And then we see that he takes all of their stuff, and he leaves in anger. He's ticked off. He leaves. And then a few days later, he realizes, oh, wait, I left my wife. And so he goes back to get this girl that he had to have, only to find out that his father-in-law gave her away to his best man. That's a bad day, right? That's a bad day, a bad week for Samson. Things not going well, but at this point, he could count his losses and say, all right, now I'm going to follow the Lord. Now I'm going to focus on the mission. But instead, what does Samson do? It's the craziest thing in the world. In chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, Samson goes, I'm not making this up. This is in the Bible. He goes and catches 300 foxes, 
catches their tails on fire, and then releases them into the grain fields of the Philistines. Does that seem a little bizarre to you? Some of you look and you say, well, okay, what's the big deal with the foxes? Why did he catch their tails on fire and release them in the fields? Because here's the deal. This is an agrarian society. These fields are their livelihood. It's their money. It's their power. It's their status. This is not just some foolish prank. This is economic terrorism. Literally. And not only that, it is in a direct assault on their god, their, fa- their false god, Dagon, who is the god of grain. So as you can imagine, the Philistines get ticked. In retaliation, what do they do? They say, we're going to go kill this woman who used to be your wife and her father-in-law. So they burn them alive. And in retaliation against that, Samson goes and kills them. And then he hides out in Israel because at this point, now the nation's rulers are getting involved. And so the, the Lord of the Philistines come to, to Israel and they say to their leaders, look, here's the deal. Your boy Samson, you better turn him over to us or we're going to destroy your little nation. And so they go up to Samson like, thanks a lot, buddy. Like, you, now we're all in trouble. They're going to kill like, every single one of us if we don't turn you in. And so Samson says, all right, here's the deal. I'll turn myself in. I'm like, really? I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. And so you come to, to chapter 15 in verses, and again, I can't make this up. Like, look for it yourself. In verses 9 through Verse 16, 3,000 men come to capture Samson. I want you to think about that. Like, if somebody wanted to come capture me, they're probably like, I could take Jared one-on-one. We'll just send one guy, we'll get him. Like, we need 3,000 men to go get Samson. And so these 3,000 men roll up on him, and they're, they're still scared because they're standing from a distance, and they say, hey, Samson, if we get close to you, will you kill us? He's like, no, I'm not going to kill you. And so like 3,000 roll up on him. They begin to tie him up. And then it says the spirit of the Lord rushes up on him. He picks up the jawbone of the donkey, kills a 1,000 of the men, and then stands there making jokes about it while he's standing knee-deep in their blood. All right, this is not Sunday school Samson, is it? I mean, this is an absolute madman. And I love how the author puts this in in chapter 16, verse 1. Despite the fact an entire nation is chasing after them, it says in chapter 16, verse 1, Samson went down to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. Still driven by his lust. Still so blinded by his need to fulfill his sexual fantasies that he will do whatever it takes to pursue a a woman and make her his. And while he's there, it says this rival gang comes around him and they surround him. In the next following verses, what does Samson do? He sneaks out the back, he uproots this major city's gates, carries it 40 miles away, throws it down, and this is where we come to the story that Samson is so famous for. Samson meets this valley girl by the name of Delilah, another Philistine woman. And the Bible says that Samson loved Delilah. And one day... These Philistine lords came up to Delilah and they said, Look, girl, you know this boy Samson has caused our country all sorts of pain. So here's what we want you to do. Figure out for us what makes him weak so that we can go and capture him and kill him. And she says, You got it. I'll be glad to let you know. So what does she do? She sneaks into his room. Actually, she probably doesn't sneak in because they're married, but uh, I don't know why I said sneak. But anyways, goes into his room. And she begins to seduce Samson. And she says, hey, Samson, tell me, what's the secret to your strength? And at first he makes up some stuff, and he's like, oh, you know, if you weave my hair together and you bind me with fresh cords, 
that's what makes me weak. And of course, it doesn't work. And so she keeps pressing. What is it that makes you weak? And you know, you would think Samson would figure out, like, this girl's trying to kill me. But he's stupid. He, he's, he's, he's got anger issues. He's driven with lust, and he's a moron. Like, apparently, like, he's never watched any forensic file episodes where the wife always kills the husband, right? Like, she keeps pressing, keeps pressing, and one night she seduces him. She's like, come on. Like, what makes you weak? What's the secret to your strength? And he says, all right, I'll tell you. You're so beautiful. Let me just say, it, it's the Nazarite vow. You see, if you cut my hair, if I lose my, 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 my dreadlocks, I lose my strength. And so one night while Samson's sleeping, she comes in, she cuts his hair, he becomes weak, and because he's weak, the, the, the Philistine lords come in, they capture Samson, they gouge out his eyes, they beat on him, and then they parade him into this huge party where he is some sort of circus freak there to entertain the crowds. And I want you to just imagine this moment. I mean, this is a very broken man at the end of a very broken life where everything he touched turned to havoc and death. And here he is, puny and weak, in the middle of these two pillars that hold up the temple. And he is literally a laughing stock in front of this entire party. But it is here, while Samson is in his weakest state, look again in verse 28 and verse 30. We read it earlier. He cries out to God. Chapter 16, verse 28 and 30. Samson called out to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And so he, he bowed with all of his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's. And upon all the people who were in it, so the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed during his lifetime. Samson said, and strengthen me one more time, God. Strengthen me one more time so that I can get vengeance on these men who have gouged out my eyes. But notice here what Samson meant for vengeance. Even though his motives were wrong, even though they were impure, God empowers Samson. And he pulls down the temple on every single person inside of it, including himself, leaving no survivors. Credits roll. Now, what are we going to do with this story? Besides stream it on Netflix. We're in a series called Jesus Revealed, Finding Christ in the Old Testament. Where in the world is Christ in the middle of this mess? In order to answer that question, you have to understand that Bible scholars as well as historians all recognize that this was an incredibly crucial moment in the life of Israel. See, the reality is this was a dangerous, dangerous moment in Israel's history because when you read the book of Judges, what you discover is that these people, the Israelites, had become completely comfortable living in the pagan nation or under the pagan rulership of the Philistines. And so though they were called to be a nation that was a light to other nations... They were now becoming very dark. And if things would have continued as they were, Israel not only would have lost their culture, but they would have eventually lost their faith, and therefore they would have lost the world's salvation, Jesus Christ, whom eventually descended through them. Without Samson, you have no Israel. 
And without Israel, we have no Jesus descending into this earth, which results in every single one of us spending an eternity in hell. Samson was a man who clearly was very, very wicked and very, very spiritually weak. But in spite of all of his flaws, I want you to get this, in spite of all of his flaws, in spite of all of his junk, God uses Samson to preserve the life of Israel and therefore paves a way for Jesus Christ to come into this life, onto this planet, where he would live a sinless life that none of us could live. And despite the fact he never did anything wrong, he would be treated just like Samson. He would be paraded in front of crowds as some sort of circus freak. He would be mocked. He'd be laughed at. He would be beat. And eventually he'd be nailed to a cross where he would die for you and for me. So that now rather than us receiving the death that we deserve for our sin, we can receive the life that Jesus deserves for all eternity. You see, Jesus didn't just die for us. Three days later, we see that he got up out of the grave. He didn't just endure death. He conquered it. I mean, you look at the cross and the resurrection. Isn't it interesting? I want you to think about this. Isn't it interesting that God was able to take the weakest moment in Jesus' life and turn it into the greatest moment of victory? And the reason we need to meditate on that is because that is the same pattern of how the Christian life works now. Say, Jerry, what in the world are you talking about? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, I think we can put it on the screen, can we? Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in what? Let's say it again. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly, Paul says, of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. Hear this? I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am what? strong. When I played tennis in high school, basically what I tried to do every match was to play to my strengths and make the person, my opponent, play to their weaknesses. And so if, if my opponent had a weak backhand, I want to make sure and hit it to their backhand. Because here's the point. If you can, if you can expose your opponent's weakness in tennis, you can make them lose the match. Weaknesses equal loss. That's not the way it works in the Christian life. In the Christian life, Paul says we're not supposed to, to try to hide our weaknesses. We're actually to do the opposite. We're to expose our weaknesses. He says we are to, to boast in our weaknesses. Boast in our weaknesses. Why, Paul? Because when we learn to stop hiding our weaknesses, when we learn to stop pretending like they are not there and we take them to Jesus, he says we discover his power and his presence like never before. Isn't that great news this morning? Some of you, you, you have believed the lie that you are so jacked up God could never use your life. Some of you in here, you think that you can't possibly share your faith because you don't speak very well. You believe that lie for too long now. Some of you in here, you think, man, I can't get involved in a missional community and really love others and serve others because I have nothing to offer. And, and besides, I'm relationally just behind everybody else. I'm too weak to offer anything in a missional community context. 
Some of you in here, you think, man, I want to make disciples. I hear y'all talk about that every week. But I mean, my life's such a mess. I can't possibly step forward and disciple someone else. I don't even know what I'm doing. Some of you, I've talked with you, you're like, man, I want to be able to provide financially for the church and the mission and all that, but man, I, I, I mean, my finances, we make so little, I don't think we can do this. We're just too weak in this area. The truth is, guys, listen to me carefully. We're about to end. The truth is, your weakness is not a barrier to your relationship with God. It is a breakthrough to your relationship with God. Weakness is how the Christian life works. I know it's in opposition to everything else we see, but Jesus said when he showed up on this earth in Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. You know what that means, the poor in spirit? Blessed are those who know they are spiritually bankrupt before God and have nothing they can offer him. When we read the story of Samson, we are reminded that there is one hero in the Bible and it is Jesus Christ. And he is able to hit straight shots with crooked sticks. He is able to take even those who are the most jacked up and use them ultimately for his glory. Jesus Christ said, I did not come for those of you who think you're strong and have it all together. Listen, guys, listen, we're almost done. If you're sitting here today and you think God's probably pretty happy to have me on his team, you're unqualified to be used by God in any mighty way. If you sit here today and you say, I'm so stinking weak, I can never do anything great for God, you're in a perfect position. I go to him with that weakness. I did not come for the strong, I came for the weak. They are the very ones Jesus said, I'm going to build my kingdom with. Are there any weak ones in here this morning? Anybody willing to admit it, I don't have it all together, then you're in a great place. My prayer is that you will see your weakness is a channel to you receiving the grace of God. And if you will receive that grace, you will receive a power beyond this world and you will experience more of him and as a result, you will glorify God with your life. Even in spite of your flaws. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as our band comes forward. Father, we come to you now. We thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to hear from your word. I thank you, Jesus, that you are so much better than Samson. I thank you that you are a perfect, the perfect God-man who came and did everything that we could not do for ourselves. I pray for each person that is here. Father, there are those who feel weak, those who feel like their sin has built this major mountain between you and them, and I pray that you will just show them how your grace is greater than their sin. I pray that, God, that we will stop making excuses, that we will fully give our lives to you, that we will turn everything over to you, that we'll stop trusting in our good works, stop trusting in our own strength, and we will trust fully in you, Jesus. And as a result, your power will rest on this church, your power will rest on each family, your power will rest on us, God, as we move forward into the city and this world, ultimately for the good of people and for the glory and honor of your name. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.